and welcome to episode number 215 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown. Joined this week, he's back in the saddle. And yes, there is a little bit of pun intended in that. It is Stephen Andrus. We are going to talk some Belmont here shortly. We're going to give our early thoughts of the U.S. Open. We're going to talk a little bit of UFC this weekend. And listen, if you're tuning in for the NBA, go ahead and skip to the end of the podcast uh, because some of you guys might be getting this after the game is over. So we don't want to lead with that, but just skip to the end and we will talk some NBA as well. But Stephen... Glad to have you back. Glad to have you uh, in in the like I said, back in the saddle here for our uh, <laughs> podcast brought to us by by BetMGM. And uh, if you want to follow Stephen at Stephen Anders one, you want to follow me at Matt Brown M two. We do have the final race of the Triple Crown this week. I know there is a little less buzz about it because again, we don't have a horse that's that was even eligible to be going for the Triple Crown this week, and then we find ourselves in the weird position again where the the Kentucky Derby winner didn't run in the Preakness and then now the Preakness winner's not running in the Belmont and so like we just have you know it's just it's a weird it's a weird scenario as we head into the weekend yeah if you like races with big fields and juicy odds you know the the Kentucky Derby's already over you're gonna have to wait for uh the the Breeders Cup in the fall because this has been a conversation sport wide and especially now on Belmont Stakes Day in New York, um, where a lot of these races have, you know, six horses in it and the mm-hmm. Belmont Stakes only has eight horses in it. So, um, you know, obviously we know the Derby is the only horse race on the calendar on this continent that's going to have 20 horses. But, you know, typically we're seeing, you know, more than 10 horses in these in these great yeah stakes races and we had nine in the Preakness. Now we only have eight in the Belmont. And on top of that, half the fields in both of those races were horses that weren't even on the Kentucky Derby trail, earning points to try and get into the Derby field. So um, a lot of afterthoughts until this point that are in these races that we're having to try to handicap. I'm sure there were a lot of people too, like me, who I, by the way, I hit I hit the trifecta for the Preakness and guess what? Hey. It paid out like 14 cents or whatever or something <laughs> like that. Like, like I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, I got the trifecta and I look and I'm like, oh God, I didn't even win any money. Like I, when it's all said and done, like I didn't even win any Yeah, the any dollar cash. try, you're going to do like a $5 try or a yeah. $10 try. Like there's no $1 try when there's only eight horses in the field and the favorite comes in second. Yeah, so it was, and and you know, looking at the early odds here for this, Stephen, like I would, I'm gonna tell everybody right now, unless this thing gets really, really wacky, don't expect the trifecta to pay out very much either for this one because we're looking at a bunch of horses here who are all fairly short. I mean, we're looking at, at We the People at two to one, Nest only eight to one, Rich Strike only three and a half to one, uh, Creative Minister six to one, Mo Donegal two and a half to one, and then Barbara Road is 10 to one. We have two 20 to one horses, and of course, this is paramutual. This can all change, but you can kind of tell how this is going to, to be by the time these, these horses go off. So we're probably looking at another scenario in which even if you hit the trifecta, you're probably not going to be jumping up and down. Yeah. And the other thing, too, about the Preakness was that the two longest shots on the board got heavily bet by the time the race start. Mm-hmm. Like that was an all time gift in the Preakness that everybody was trying to pull a rich strike 80 to one winner out of the Preakness and a couple of horses that were absolute ass like they might as well have been 
an ass, a donkey <laughs> running in that race because they had no business being in it. And they went from like 30 to one down to like eight to one or 10 to one. So that was a gift in the Preakness to get some of the prices we did on the horses at the top of the board. Well, I don't know if we're going to get that here in the Belmont. You know, some of these horses at the top are are very strong. Uh, we have the Derby winner. We have Mo Donegal, who was a strong consideration in the derby until he drew the one ho- the one post at Churchill Downs. Um, Nest was the favorite in the Kentucky Oaks and is a filly with a trainer who has had great success here in the Belmont Stakes. If Todd Pletcher's entering a filly in this race, it's not because the owners told him to. It's because mm-hmm. Pletcher legitimately thinks this horse can compete in this race. So um, I'm not sure we're going to get juicy prices with the favorites like we did in the Preakness. I'm, you know, my guess, if I had to guess right now, there's going to be some public money on Rich Strike just on that narrative and the angle yeah. and him being 80 to one and people want to try and take a shot on him again. Um, and if that's the case, I'll probably be playing Mo Donegal instead. So let's go ahead and just talk about a couple of different bets that people might can make here. Uh, The two horses I didn't mention running through the field are the two longer shots in this one, at least as of Friday morning, as we're recording this, as we said, the odds will and do change. Skippy Longstocking and Golden Glider are the other two horses in the field that uh, should at least end up as maybe the kind of longer shots in this thing. So. Um, you know, let's do the best we can to try to make some people some some money here, Stephen. What would be yeah. your strategy then to try and make some money in this with so many horses that are probably going to be pretty short? So longest race any of these horses will probably run in the, for the rest of their careers, and they've never run a mile and a half before. Just like the Derby was a mile a quarter, mm-hmm. and those horses never ran that distance. Well, now this is a mile and a half on a track that is deep and tiring it they call it big sandy because it's like running on the beach uh it's it's a grueling race for these horses so with that in mind the fact that the favorite is in the one post is concerning uh the fact that the favorite we the people is only two to one um and i the the reason why he is the favorite after not competing in the derby or the preakness is because he won the peter pan stakes against much weaker competition might i add but it was on this track and he did it with a 103 buyer speed figure which is the best career buyer of anybody in this field what i am knocking him for is that buyer speed figure was only at 1 and 1/8 miles It wasn't even at the Derby distance, let alone the Belmont distance. So to me, that makes him vulnerable. Um, So I'm going to try and get a better price on somebody else. And my angle for this race is going to be the angle that worked out so well for me in the Preakness is the rest angle. Uh, We talked about whether or not the favorite in the Preakness was vulnerable after having just run two weeks before in the Kentucky Derby. Turned out to be true. A new shooter early voting came in, ran a very strong race after skipping the Kentucky Derby. Well, that leads me to the two strongest horses who did not run in the Preakness Uh, Didn't run a few weeks ago in the Peter Pan like we the people did. It's Rich Strike, the Derby winner, who skipped the Preakness. And also Mo Donegal, who finished fifth, 
but had a really difficult trip, a lot of traffic issues, drew the rail, which is a death sentence in the Kentucky Derby, but ran really strong down the stretch, passed a lot of horses to get a, a, I thought was a respectable fifth place in the Kentucky Derby. So um, if I'm looking for a win bet, I'm betting on one of those two. I think Mo Donegal's resume, even though he didn't win the Derby and Rich Strike shocked the world, I think his resume overall is stronger. I think he's more consistent. I think he's put up um, a nice stretch of buyer speed figures leading up to this race, whereas Rich Strike has only peaked in the one race, and we don't know if we'll see him run back to that form or not. So, uh, gun to my head, Mo Donegal for a win bet here, and the horses I'm going to be mixing into the exotics uh, would be Rich Strike. It would be Nest, uh, who I just think Todd Pletcher sees something in this filly to enter her into this race. Um, He said that she's gotten a lot stronger and we can sprinkle we the people in there as well, kind of defensively uh, in the event that we the people hits the board still. Uh, But these other horses, I'm not all that impressed with. Creative Minister hit the board in the Preakness with a triple digit buyer speed figure, but no rest angle there for Creative Minister. Um, Golden Glider and Barber Road. Uh, Barber Road rallied from 19th place to finish sixth in the Derby. So got the rest angle there as well. Maybe that horse can hit the board. Maybe you want to slide him into the bottom of a trifecta or superfecta ticket. But I will be going into this, this Belmont with a Mo Donegal win ticket and mixing in Rich Strike, Nest, and We the People into my exotics. And again, guys, just uh, don't be upset if you don't make a ton of money on this race. It's just the way that things have kind of played out. Not a ton of horses, a bunch of short shots. And so, yeah, Matt, uh, just real quick on that angle. This is what Dave Bontempo, our turf writer, you can check out his full analysis on the race at thelines.com. He is considering instead of a one dollar trifecta ticket, a ten dollar trifecta ticket Uh, because of these potential payout issues. And um you know, what he'll do is he's going to put, excuse me, pardon me, fighting COVID over here. Um, he's going to put the horse he thinks he's going to finish in first in the first place slot, the horse he thinks is going to finish in second in the second place slot, and then two horses in the third place slot. So that ticket's going to cost him $20. But if he's correct, that ticket should pay out around 10 to 1, 11 to 1. So for a $20 ticket, he's taking a shot at maybe like a $250 return. But he has to only pick one horse in that first or second place spot to be able to get that, you know, 9 to 1 to 12 to 1 payout range. As you guys have been paying attention, unless you uh, have not been paying attention to sports at all, uh, there's a thing called the Live Golf Tour. It is going on right now. The initial event is going on right now as the RBC Canadian is going on on the PGA Tour. And the reason we bring this up is because next week is the U.S. Open. And despite what you may have heard about these 17 golfers getting suspended by the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour does not run the U.S. Open and those players will be allowed to play at the U.S. Open next week. It takes place at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. Stephen, this is going to only be around 7,200 yards. So this is not a, this is a par 70, around 7,200 yards. And you and I were talking before we started recording, that's going to change kind of how you start to whittle down the field here from what you've done in years past, because typically you would be looking for somebody who can bomb it off the tee. 
Yeah, I went back and looked, and last year's U.S. Open was almost 7,700 yards, and we're less than 7,300 this week. So I've already been seeing chatter on golf Twitter about, hey, you need long hitters, you need bombers for the U.S. Open. I'm not sure that's accurate for this event at the Country Club at Brookline, Mass. So um, haven't popped in the numbers into the model and, and looked at it yet. Um, I want to be doing a video on our YouTube channel with John Hasselbauer on Sunday evening. That should be posted by Monday morning um, to see where he landed on what stats matter most here. But if I had to guess, we're talking about smaller greens. They're obviously going to grow in the rough. It's the U.S. Open, so penal rough. And uh, we are talking about a course that is very undulating. This is an old course that was built on top of land that was very rocky. So there was not any modern excavation and removal of all these rocky hills. They went over it and around it. And, you know, a lot of very random topography all over this golf course. So um, I think accuracy all over the place is going to matter off the tee on approach. And I think um, the greens are going to be very um, tiered, a lot of undulations. I saw some videos of people going and playing there and hitting chips that went 10 feet past the hole and circled back and came down a hill or an undulation that, and settled within a couple feet of the hole. So there's going to be a lot of creativity, I think, at Brookline this week that's going to be required as well. So um all that being said, it's a it's a major. We want a, a well-rounded golfer. But in years past, where I've put a lot of emphasis on driving distance, I think that's not going to be the case next week for me. Yeah, no, I, it certainly won't be for me. I have a couple of bets already in the account. I am uh, already on Sam Burns. I'm already on Matt Fitzpatrick. Both of these guys are, are two guys that really do fit when you talk about a well-rounded golfer. Um, both of those guys fit. And the other thing that I like about Fitzpatrick that isn't necessarily the case with, with Burns, like Burns is a guy that can go win a birdie fest because he's the guy that does have the seven under round in his bag. Fitzpatrick doesn't really have that. Fitzpatrick's more of a grinder. He's the two, three under per round type guy, but can just do that four rounds in a row and then find himself close to the lead, close to the top of the leaderboard where we know Sam Burns can kind of go from middle of the pack all the way to, to a top 10 uh, over overnight, seemingly because of how low he can go in any given round. I, I even with it being short, Stephen, one thing we know, it's going to be very, it's going to be very, very penal. If you're, if you're wild off the tee, if, if you can just kind of take your medicine sometimes, take your par, not even try to birdie a hole or something like that. And Fitzpatrick's men, his mentality and the way that he plays really does kind of fit that for what I'm looking for this week. And so that is a that's a guy for me when I start to kind of whittle down the field when we're talking about, hey, I want a guy that does everything pretty well. Fitzpatrick is one of those guys that just does everything pretty well. Yeah, I, I feel you. He's he's gotten off to a good start uh, as we record this in the Canadian Open. So you love to see that bouncing back from a missed cut. Um, one guy that I think I'm probably I might pay for this, but um, one guy who is near the top of the odds board that has been spraying his driver for some time now is Cameron Smith. 
Yes. And if if spraying your driver and being inaccurate off the tee is going to hurt you at Brookline, um, and there is no yeah. real real reward for going far, um, he's he. I, it's the reason he hasn't been contending in some of these tournaments, but still has good finishes, is because he can't get his tee shots uh, under control. And 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 listen, the reason you bring that up is because hey, there's going to be head to heads. There's going to be three balls. Uh, that you can go against him, right? I mean, you're going to be able to target Cam yeah. Smith. And, and you know, I know it's crazy to say one of the very best golfers in the world that we would be targeting against. But the deal is, is when you get one of the very best golfers in the world, he's going to be paired against some other of the best golfers in the world who, as you mentioned, probably are in much, much better form than he is right now. And so I think that is a very good strategy that if I find some juicy head to heads against Cam Smith, I'm probably going to be coming in against him. And I can't believe I'm saying that because that's, you know, the guy has been so good over the last 18 months, 18 to 24 months, but he's, he's coming in in pretty poor form. He cannot find the driver at all. And even when he's going to three wood, he's still, he's still not hitting fairways. And if that's going to be the, if he can't do that at the RBC Canadian, hadn't been able to do that in the last few weeks, Stephen, if he does that over, if he does that at Brookline, he, he could miss the cut. I mean, he might be a guy that at plus money, we're probably going to get plus 300 or something like that for him to miss the cut. There might be a chance. I, I, I seriously consider that bet. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he saw exactly what happens when he misses fairways in the first round this week of the RBC. He had, uh, you can count on your fingers in the number of birdie free rounds, not bogey free, birdie free rounds Cameron Smith has had. And he did that in the first round, shooting a six over 76 up north of the border, Uh, came back the next day and, you know, was fantastic. Round two, shot five under, started hitting some more fairways. But, um, you know, I was watching him on on the live coverage and he was still missing fairways. So he yeah. was he was bailing himself out on some approaches. He's, you know, number one in this field coming into this week over the last, uh, I think, 50 rounds on approach. But he's been having to do it from out of position uh, a lot of the time. So, you know, if we're I got to be honest with you, you know. Uh, the one long shot I had early is Cameron Young. And we talked about yeah. the PGA championship, how his odds shortened a ton. There's a lot of sharp action on mm-hmm. on Cameron Young going into the PGA championship. I was fortunate enough to have a 200 to one ticket on him for the U.S. Open. Not going to lie, because at the time I assumed the U.S. Open was going to be a bomber's paradise again. And yeah. we're looking at it now and it doesn't look like Brookline's going to be that. So I don't know how I feel about it, but he's played really, really well um, over the past couple of months here for a rookie. Hasn't won, uh, but I, I, you know, his odds have shortened a ton. I think he's around 50 to one now for the U.S. Open. Not sure I'd play him at that number. Um, but keep an eye out. If, if his odds balloon up a little bit, there could be some value left in that number. Uh, the other guy I'll mention is is Justin Thomas, because if we're sitting here, Matt, and we're talking about creativity and accuracy and shot shaping and having to imagine shots that aren't necessarily, you know, as straightforward, like chipping past the pin mm-hmm. to circle it back. Fewer in the world are better at that than Justin Thomas. Um, He is a real thinker on the golf course and he has a veteran Hall of Fame caddy and bones on the bag. Um, 
And we saw the last time he won a major, he piled up a couple of extra wins on top of that. He kept the momentum going. So if he's a little bit further down the board than that top tier, if if Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm and Rory are going to be at the top, because a lot of people are assuming this is going to play like the U.S. Open has in the past couple of years where it's a bomber's paradise, then maybe we can get like a. 15 to one on Justin Thomas with an odds boost at one of these books or whatever. So that's a guy I'm keeping an eye out for. Yeah. So as you mentioned, just some of the odds out there um, on everybody, Rom about 11 to one Scheffler JT about 12 to one Rory about 14. Same with Morikawa Shoffley and DJ Cameron Smith on that 18 to one Kepka is 20 to one Spieth 22 can't lay 22 some other big names, Hovland at 25, Zalatoris 28, Fitzpatrick 30, Burns 35, Lowry 35, Finau 35, Bryson 35. That should be 350, but uh, Bryson 35, <laughs> uh, Hideki's 35, and then Louis Ustazen sitting at 40. I imagine a decision that we're all going to have to make this week. And Stephen, I, you know, we'll dig into this much, much further next week when we have tons of tons of content here on the U S open is what to do with Will Zalatoris, right? I mean, we're talking a guy that is elite, elite, elite in every single facet of the game, except for the short game. And it is putrid. And so we try to say, okay, do we just, uh, do we just play the skill set and hope that he can get hot chipping and putting, or do we just have to face that? He's just very, very bad at that. And considering there's going to be a bunch of small greens on this course, We just have to fade him because if you look at this over the last 36 rounds in the field of the U.S. Open, he is fifth gain strokes gain total, first overall tee to green, second ball striking, fifth off the tee, first approach, but he is 88th short game, 64th around the green and 108th putting. It's like. It's like every single thing about this guy screams. You have to bet him. How are you not betting him? And then there's something in the pit of my stomach, Stephen, that I that says to me, you're wasting your money because he's not going to be able to make the scrambling happen when he needs to make it happen. Yeah. And if you watch him, you almost want him to be putting from 12 feet instead of five feet because he's got this like he gets to the, the back of his putter backswing and it starts like shaking. Like he's nervous. Yeah. Like it happens. It's it's the weirdest thing. So could he ball strike his way to this the way Colin Morikawa has won a couple of majors? Absolutely. Um, but I do think this being a bit of a shorter course takes away some of the advantage that he's had in some of these other majors. Yeah, I, I just don't know if I can get there. And I can't believe I'm saying that about one of the best golfers in the world, but it's going to be a big decision for me to me. He's a first round leader bet to me. And if he wins, I tip my cap. He's a, he's a position bet guy, like true and true, right? Like you, you feel great about a top 20, you feel pretty damn, you feel pretty damn good about a top 10 and, and probably when it's all said and done, your, your top five is at least going to be live coming Sunday. You know, it's just, you know, the win equity for him when it all comes down to it probably just isn't quite there yet. And this is a guy that's still young and I think he'll get that figured out with his game, but it's just not quite there yet. Again, just, just Burns and Fitzpatrick for me right now let me let me give you two more i'm let me give you two more i'm really curious about i want to get your reaction to um 
I thought about Morikawa because it's a shorter course, mm-hmm. but he's he's just off right now, especially like his the short form is not really good. bad. Yeah. Yeah. His form's very bad. The short game is even worse right now. So I'm I don't know if I'm gonna bet him, but two names I think you might agree with here. The first is Max Homa who is top 20 in all those categories you suggested, mm-hmm. except for except for strokes gain around the green. And the second is Joaquin Neiman, who's basically a carbon copy of Max Homa, just really solid everywhere except for um, actually putting for him. But he's yeah. still top 60 putting, so he's not awful. He's not Will Zalatoris bad. And we can get a 66 to 1 on Max Homa right now, and we can get a 40 to 1 on Neiman we're talking about guys who have actually won on tour this year. We saw Neiman at his ceiling at the Genesis can be an absolutely dominant mm. golfer. Uh, at their prices, I think they're interesting. So, and here's the thing I would say about this, guys, is those guys in particular, I would bet them this week before people start paying attention to the U.S. Open. Because yeah. once they start paying attention to the U.S. Open, those odds that Stephen just mentioned are going to go away. Like, they are going to go down. Because as you as you were talking about, these guys do have win equity. Max Homa is a multi-time winner on tour. This is not one of these guys that can't close. This is not one of those guys that can't get home. He has done it. He's done it multiple times on tour. And so that's the type of guy that I'm looking for at tournaments like that. This, this, this is the type of guy that I'm looking for in major tournaments. And I do believe, like you said, I think Homa is as consistent and certainly as interesting as anybody in this field. And if you can find a 66 to one on that, I would take that in a heartbeat because again, come Tuesday of next week, that is going to be gone. There's not, there's not going to be a 66 to one on Max Homa to be found. I promise you that. Yeah, I like them. I think they're very well-rounded golfers right now. Like you said, you don't have to worry about them, you know, getting nervous as much as some of these other guys. Yeah. They've closed. They've shown they can win. And um, both of them, T to green, have been very strong, very strong. So if we get a hot putter, look out. Yeah, I am with you, man. I like those. I like those calls actually a pretty good amount. And the other guy that I'm going to I might take a leap of faith on. Um, is just Daniel Berger. I did see signs of life from him here recently. And I believe you would say the same, like this is a guy that if we were talking a year ago, he'd probably be a guy that you and I were, were right at the top considering look, Daniel Berger, he's awesome. So consistent, whatever now 50 to one, Again, a guy that's won. We know he can win. He's not. He's not one of these dudes that's just a perennial top, you know, eighteen guy. He he's he's a winner. He can win, and I can get fifty to one on Daniel Berger like this. And again, I think his game has started to come back around a little bit, coming back off that injury. Yeah, that was always the concern, the injury, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, after he he blew that lead at the the Honda Classic, I believe it was. I think he had like a, a huge lead going into the final round and. Just couldn't keep it together. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's shown he can contend T5 at the Memorial, his last event before this U.S. Open. Um, so that shows you he's healthy right there um, and a difficult course mm-hmm. too. six under par was good enough to finish top five in that tournament. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I. I think I prefer him more at like a British Open style event or a Honda Classic where it's, I don't know, just, I don't want to say tougher because the U.S. Open mm-hmm. is as tough as it gets. But, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, with the, I take that back. With it being a shorter course than what we've seen for U.S. Opens, it absolutely puts him in play. I guess what we I'm trying to UFC. say is windy conditions, right? Like windy yes, conditions yeah. for Berger because he's because of his low ball flight, he has an advantage. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you on that price. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem. Call one 800 5 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. We got UFC 275 this weekend. We'll have all the, we have all the, we have all the analysis over on the lines, play pick stuff like that. So be sure and head over there. This is not one of those, uh, not one of those things where we're going to sit here and go, you know, super, super hard at, at, at the prediction stuff here. I will say this. I will have a couple of bets in this one. Um, when you, when you take a look here, there are a couple of long shots on the main card. And here's the interesting part about this, Stephen, And that is that, there is a guy, a, a, a lady, Talia Santos, that is that is going to be fighting Valentina Shevchenko in the co-main event. You are going to be able to get her north of four dollars as an underdog. Like most, like there's a there's a four fifty out there right now that you can find. Uh, there's some other there's some other books that are you know starting to take a little bit of money on Santos, but. I think Santos is a pretty live plus 450 underdog here against Shevchenko. Santos can throw. And mm. look, it's one of those things where I, I'm not saying she wins, but what I'm saying is, is she is better than the plus 450 that you can find that you find her at right now. And so I would have a little lunch money if I were you guys on Santos um, just to have a just to have a bet on her, should she be able to pull the upset here? Shevchenko's a beast. Look, only two losses in the last decade have been to Amanda Nunez, so there's nothing to like feel bad about that. But I do think Santos is is going to be maybe her stiffest test outside of Nunez in a long, long time. So I do like that bet as a big, big underdog there. Can't back Glover Teixeira as an underdog in the main event. I actually think he probably gets knocked out, so... I would be looking at a prop somewhere like that um, in that main event fight. And outside of that, those are probably the only two things that I'm going to have on this card. I don't have a, I don't have a ton of, um, I don't have a, a, a ton of conviction on really any of the other stuff out there. But again, I, I will have a flyer on Santos and I do think Tashera probably ends up getting knocked out in this one. So we'll just look at that for the UFC. Over on the NBA, over in the NBA finals, uh, Stephen, uh, you know, if you hopefully you, you know, if you got this before the game on Friday night, you skipped ahead. You're getting this as we sit right now. Uh, majority of books at Celtics as four point favorites. There is one sitting at three and a half right now. Two fourteen is the total in this one. As we know, 
This is, I'm not going to say a definite do or die situation for this Warriors team, but it is probably about as close as they come. The series price on this, Stephen, has now moved to if you want to play, the, if you want to play the Celtics, you're laying over $2 in, in the series. And it is uh, currently about minus 230, minus 240, depending on where you look for the Celtics. I wouldn't even play that. I think if you're if you're bullish on the Celtics, I think you play them in five or you play them in six and go that direction because I just think that we're getting to a point now where their athleticism, how good they play defense, and the fact that they're multiple on offense is just too much for this Warriors team to handle. I'm with you, man. I, I bet on the Celtics to win this series before game three. Uh, got paid a, a tiny bit of juice, but pretty close to even money. Felt really good about it. Feel even better mm -hmm. about it now. Um, <clears throat> what's interesting to me is this MVP market because Jason Tatum's the favorite at BetMGM at plus 115, but he's kind of done it in an inefficient way is maybe the best way I could describe it. Mm -hmm. And um you know, obviously Curry's the leading scorer in the series, but he's not going to win if they lose the series. So do you entertain the possibility of Jalen Brown stealing this from Tatum at plus 300? Uh, or do you think that we're talking about human voters here who are just going to give it to Tatum by default? I so I have a plus 1550 ticket on Jalen Brown to win. Uh, to win MVP. Uh, that I took before the series started. And if I did not have that ticket, I would play the three to one on Jalen Brown, even uh, not having that ticket here, because here's the deal. If you look, his stats are better than Tatum's are. And I understand mm -hmm. what you're saying. It's still humans that are voting on this, but we could have a game tonight in which Tatum becomes just strictly a facilitator. And, um, and, and Jalen Brown scores another 25, 26, 27, 28 type points, 28 point game like that. And, and the, the obviousness of giving it to Tatum is just not going to, to, to be there. And so I think Jalen Brown with not with Tatum also not having like the household name of a Steph Curry, right? Like, like you and I would never argue that if the Warriors won, unless Steph Curry just basically only scored five points a game, he was going to win it, right? I mean, like they were going to give it to him come hell or high water, especially considering they gave it to Iguodala, you know, and, and didn't give it to him before. But I don't think that's the case with, with Tatum. I don't think that his, his name has so much cachet that they wouldn't give it to Jalen Brown. Yeah, I don't know because I'm I'm a little jaded after getting absolutely just kicked in the ass in the final four MOP market and trusting that those <laughs> voters would actually knew what they were looking at on the on a basketball floor. So I I don't trust them. I don't trust human voters when it comes to these awards at this point. I I agree with everything you just said. Obviously, it, it all makes perfect sense. Uh, but I don't know if I trust these <laughs> these these voters who are at this game to do it. Um, I, I get mean, it. No, I mean, listen, I get it. It's because, again, at the end of the day, it's it's still humans that write the name on the piece of paper and turn it in. Put it this way, though. If you do at this point still believe that the Warriors are going to win the series, just bet on Curry to win finals MVP at yeah. like plus 200 or better instead of Warriors plus 180. There isn't any chance on the planet that somebody other than Steph Curry would win finals yeah. MVP if the Warriors come back and win this series.
Yeah, because everyone else has been, I mean, everyone else has had garbage games where Curry's been the only consistent performer for them. So, yes, there's no no other way that that gets home if it wasn't for that. If I if I didn't have a series bet already uh, on the Celtics, like I said, I would play them at four to two at plus 170 and at four to one at three to one and just kind of split up that money before I would play them at minus 230 or 240. So I would just take that money that I was willing to to, to buy into the Celtics on from a series price and just split it between 4-1 or 4-2 because I don't think this thing gets to seven anymore. I thought maybe we were going to looking at a seven game series, but I do not think that is going to be the case anymore, Stephen. So I would be just playing them 4-1 or 4-2 in this market. And like you said, if you are mm-hmm. bullish on the Warriors, I would definitely be coming back on on Steph Curry as opposed to the series price. I'm with you on both of those for sure. Um, the other thing I'll just mention on on Jalen Brown versus Jason Tatum for the award. I don't and full disclosure, I don't even think voters will look at this. I don't think they're smart mm-hmm. enough to. But uh, Jalen Brown has been 6.3 on the plus minus and Jason Tatum minus 2.3 through the first three games of this series. My only other parting shot here, and we weren't even going to talk major league baseball, but I do want to at least throw this out there. Steven, the Mets are in a, the Mets are in a predicament here with what they've got going on the pitching side of things. They've got some other injuries that they're dealing with and the other teams are either getting healthy, a.k.a. the Braves, or firing the manager, lit something under them, and maybe these ridiculous bats that they have can 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 overcome their fielding deficiencies, a.k.a. Are you talking the about Phillies. my Phillies? Are you talking about yes. my Philbos? I'm saying that the Mets at minus 270 in the NL East is... It, I, would, I would be betting... I would be betting the Braves or the Phillies. Like, I, I would be betting the Braves or the Phillies to win that division. I, I honestly truly believe that we're going to be looking at, at one of the, uh, one of those teams when it's all said and done, because DeGrom at best after the all-star break, and that is literally very best case scenario. They're not going to rush back Scherzer at all. We don't even know. I mean, McGill did get activated off of the, the IL today, but we don't know what he's going to look like coming back off of injury. And so I think this is a pretty good time as the Braves get healthy, as the Phillies maybe make a change and start to uh, start to pick things up as well to take a flyer on one of those two teams. If not, you know, a tiny sprinkle on both. Don't hate it. Um, Here's my issue. Like, listen, full disclosure, I am a Philadelphia fan. I love the (laughs) Phillies. The the five years they won the NL East in a row and won a World Series in there were like the greatest years of my frigging life uh, with Chase Utley and Ryan Howard. But um, here's my concern is. Do I think they're good enough to make the playoffs? Yes, I do. And that goes in line with your with your NL East bet potentially. But I have I've been wanting to pull the trigger at 40 to one on them to win the World Series, which is almost double what their spring training odds were. But I don't know this is a team that has the makeup to perform well in the postseason. I don't think you can slug your way to a World Series anymore. Um, So we and I had this discussion with Mo Noir in, in spring training on Phillies versus the Marlins. Like, do I think the Phillies I thought the Phillies were more likely to make the playoffs But if they got in, I thought the Marlins would perform better in the playoffs, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense, because of their pitching and their bullpen. So 
That's the catch 22 I'm at with the Phillies. Is it a great number at 40 to one right now with what we know about their offense? Absolutely. Uh, We're talking about them right now in the midst of a seven game winning streak, Uh, but there's still three games out of the playoffs. Bryce Harper is going to have to DH for the rest of the season. So we'll see, but I I don't think them getting hot and maybe doing what you're saying of sneaking out at an NLE's title makes them necessarily a, a dangerous playoff team. The the other the only other thing I do want to mention as well is if you're going to strike on the Minnesota Twins, I think now is the time to do it. I don't think people are going to sleep on this team any longer. Uh, when we see kind of the clown show that is going on oh my for God. the White Sox and Tony Larusa, you are still getting the Twins at plus one twenty five to win the AL Central, despite the fact that they are five games up on the White Sox. This Twins team is, is they're not going away unless they just get a rash of injuries. And here's the thing. Sometimes we just have to we, we, we just have to deal with that. Right. I mean, like if if a team just gets hurt all the time, then it is what it is. We can't bet. On, on, you know, injuries. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. All we can do is bet on what we see in front of us. And, and Steven, this White Sox team, all the talent in the world, but boy, they can't, they can't, the, the manager can't get it right. The aces, Giolito and, and Cease have been up and down all year long. Eloy Jimenez just got shut down again today in his rehab assignment because his leg is still bothering him. Like, there's just a lot going on with that team. If you look, Moncada has been an absolute disaster. Grandal has been a disaster for them. I think this Twins team is, is going to take this division. And again, it's not, they're not going to be plus money for long. It's a great bet. It really is. I mean, you you didn't even mention Larusa intentionally walking uh, a Dodger yes. with a one two count and and defending you, it. Yeah, did you see? So the next batter, Max Muncie, hits a home run, three yeah. run homer. Uh, did you see the video of reading Max Muncie's lips? No. So so Max Muncie hits the homer after Larusa walks. Uh, I, I think it was Betts. I don't remember, but he walks mm. somebody with a one two count. Muncie hits a homer as he crosses home plate. He looks over in the White Sox dugout and says, F-U-B, right in Larusa's <laughs> direction for, for walking the guy with two strikes and having Muncie come up behind him and Muncie just deposits it into the bleachers. So it just uh, it's it's the it was, a, it's just so ridiculous. And and then he tries to defend it after like oh my instead God, of just yeah. Yeah, and, oh, like, are and, people and, saying I shouldn't have done that? Like, oh, he's a yeah, great like, two-strike hitter. Like, sh- shut up and go back to uh, your nursing home. Like, what are you li- doing? Liter- literally stand at the microphone and say, okay, that might have been the stupidest thing I've done. And, you know what? People <laughs> then would forgive you. Yeah, people would forgive you. People would be like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, he at least he realizes he did something stupid. He doesn't, and he hasn't all season long. He is not managing this team well, and I, I, I honestly think he is going to like him. Yeah, and I think he's going to piss away the talent on this uh, White Sox team this season. So I do like the uh, I do like the Twins in that Here's, division. Guys, uh, every, yeah, real, the White Sox are plus one thirty to not make the playoffs. The Twins are minus one twenty five to make the playoffs. So that gives you a little wiggle room to as a wild card spot, mm-hmm. even though they're like you said, plus one twenty one twenty five to win the division. And lastly, the Phillies we mentioned plus one forty to make the playoffs. If you don't want to go the division route. Yeah, I'll always always look around. The thing that's awesome is the ridiculous amount of ways that you can bet all these things and and go at it from different angles. So be sure and pick the one that is most comfortable for you. Guys, everything we talk about here on the pod, you can find 
you can find articles and picks and analysis and tools and everything and all that over on the the line. Seriously, go over there. And if you're not taking advantage of, of all this stuff that's getting posted over there, you are you're really missing out. So be sure and do that. Hit the little discord button up in the upper right hand corner so you can get in there and chat about uh, all things throughout the course of the day as well. And of course, on the YouTube side of things, go in and subscribe to us over there because we uh, we pump out some great content over there as well. If you want to follow Steven on the Twitter machine at Steven Andrus one, you want to follow me at Matt Brown M two. And until then, good luck on all your bets.